0: Thank you for choosing Minitrista Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Minitrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minitristachurch.org. we in the book of Mark. We've been there a while. We will still be there for a while that's okay because the book of Mark is in the Bible and we get to open the Bible on Sunday mornings. Hope you look forward to it. My wife has a memory as sharp as a tack. I mean, she can remember things. And so I'm going to put her on the spot this morning and I'm going to ask her to remember something that we did in 1981, 40 years ago. Sunday afternoon, after church, we went to the no-name restaurant in Long Beach, California. And we had breakfast up on the upper deck of the no-name restaurant. And Teresa and Dean were with us. And after, pardon me? I'm sorry, not Dean. That's her husband. This was somebody she dated before her husband. Oh, she's she already remembers. She she knows where this is going. So Teresa and Brian were with us, and we after the restaurant went to a play. What was the name of the play? Richard Harris, starring in Camelot. Oh, very good. Richard, and she can remember what she had on, okay, okay, Richard Harris starred as King Arthur in Camelot, Vanessa Redgrave was Guinevere, who in yesterday's paper it said was 84 years old yesterday, thought that was interesting, yes we went to Camelot, and uh, we have the record, and uh, it's one of our favorite, one of my favorite plays, stories, and we, were, we received a playbill. When you go to a play, you receive a playbill, which tells who the characters are. And so this morning, I'm going to give you a playbill in your sermon notes. If you take a look on the back side there, uh, you are going to fill in the characters of this drama, of this parable. And this parable is of extreme importance, especially during this last week. If you remember now, we've been for a while in the last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. And all through chapter, where are we, 12 of Mark, he is in the temple. Jesus is in the temple. And so we'll pick that up with that reading there in your bulletin. It's Wednesday of the Passion Week. And Jesus is still in the temple teaching to the people as well as those who wanted to kill him. So he's in there, all the people are around, but also the people that want to kill him are there as well. Jesus, the ultimate storyteller, captures his audience with this outrageous behavior, and you're going to find out who these folks are, of the farmers in this story. As Jesus tells the parable, he clearly and forcefully is that the right word? Edicts. Edites. Edites his enemies. He forcefully edites his enemies, who continue to follow, Continue to look for ways to arrest him and kill him. All right, that was <laughs> that was hard getting through that. Jesus just finished cursing, if you will remember, the fig tree, which, as appearance goes, it ought to have had some fruit. But it didn't have any. And then he also cleared the temple for its lack of worship. And he last week in our study just finished questioning the Sanhedrin who had to give an answer we don't know. And smart people don't like to give that answer and they gave that answer. And so he is still in the temple. And while he's in the temple all through chapter 12, he shares this parable that we will look at together. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And then he began to speak to them in parables. And you've probably heard this one before. And you probably already know all the people in the play. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he went away on a journey. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him, last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants, the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. That is the reading of God's Word. And so we're going to take a look this morning at the playbill. And we're going to look for a moment at Act 1. And Act 1 is all in verse 1. Act 1 is all in verse 1. And really, this exact story, we won't turn there, but you can this afternoon if you so choose. This exact story pretty much except for a few twists, is found in Isaiah chapter 5. In that story, God is telling the Israelites how he will judge them for their disobedience. And if you remember, he does that through the nation Babylon. And Babylon comes and completely destroys the Israelites. And they are in captivity, Jeremiah tells us, for 70 years. And then after that, captivity, Ezra, Nehemiah, those books of the Bible, the Israelites go back and build the city and the temple. We get almost the exact same story here except with a few twists. And so if you're filling in the playbill, the owner of the vineyard is God. The owner of the vineyard is God. You knew that. The The owner did everything right to make sure he had a productive vineyard. It says he planted a vineyard, and he put a wall around it. He put a wall around it to protect it. And he dug a pit or a wine vat for the pressing of the grapes. And then he built a watchtower to watch over the vineyard as well as store all the implements in the vineyard, of the vineyard. And everything he had done, he did to create a bountiful harvest. He did the right things as the owner of the vineyard. The next group of people in the vineyard, well, is the vineyard itself, and those represent the Israelites. God chose them to be the vineyard where their offspring would bring the Savior of the world. And that's really what the Old Testament is all about, how God protected, guarded, directed the Israelites so that ultimately the Savior would come from that group of people. And God protected it for thousands of years. The whole Old Testament is uh, concerning that protection. And then to cultivate that vineyard, if you will, in your playbill, he hired the farmers or the tenants, and those are the religious leaders. And under the leadership of Aaron and the Levites, these religious leaders were to care for and protect this vineyard until the Messiah came. They were positioned to manage and produce a crop the owner would be proud of. One that ultimately the world would enjoy. And of course that crop, that final harvest, would be our Savior Jesus. Then we are told that the owner went away. So that's that's all right there in verse, in verse uh, 1. And this is what it says. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he went away on a journey. Now, those of you that live in this area and travel to uh, travel to uh, Waconia, you'll go by uh, a, a home on the right-hand side there that is in the process of planting a vineyard. And I've been watching it, and it's taking a long time. I'm thinking maybe this year there, there might be some actual grapes to harvest, but I would say that it's probably taken about five years to get the rows right, to get the ground right, to get the fertilizer right to prune it right all of that it takes some time so after the lord gets everything ready the bible says he takes a long journey and the farmers are to care for the land and get it ready for the harvest that's that's their job the farmer or the the, the owner of the vineyard did everything right the vineyard was in a good place and the tenants or the farmers were supposed to care for it and get it ready for a harvest out there. They've been doing it for a few years. So now, as you come time, uh, that's that's Act One of our play. Oh, that was pretty quick. And whenever you go to a play, thankfully, about right in the middle or so, there is an intermission. And the ushers have been given an assignment during intermission to see if anybody would like a mint. So this is just an intermission time. Uh Ron is next door. Robin is uh just seeing if anybody wants a mint during the intermission time. And Sarah's gonna take one. Anybody else want wants a mint during the if you'd like a if you're in the sanctuary here and you'd like a mint, you can raise your hand. And uh yeah, well of course, yes. People want some mints. Pardon me? No bathroom break, just uh Pardon me? No donut holes, no these are no coffee. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is just a mint this is just a mint break. This is a mint break. <laughs> and this is intermission time. And those of you that enjoy plays after intermission time, what happens? They dim the lights, they flash the lights to bring everybody back in so that we can start on Act 2 of our play. And so Act 2 is really the rest of Mark chapter 12, verses 2 through 12. Act 2 is the rest of the play. And as we begin Act 2, we are introduced to the servants of the owner and we are introduced to the beloved son of the owner. So, Act 2 opens up with the servants of the owner. After the long journey, it says in verse 2, at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. So, The owner sends the servants to check out the vineyard and to collect some of the harvest or the proceeds from the harvest. And so far, this is exactly as in Isaiah chapter 5, but here's the real shocker. And as Jesus is telling this story, all of the people listening in the temple are like, yep. We've heard this before. It's it's in Isaiah chapter 5. We know all about this. But then here's the shocker of the story. The servants arrive and the tenant farmers really beat them silly and send them away empty-handed. And I was studying this week and it said that the second servant he set they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully that is a very light way of saying that they crushed his head basically and they sent him away empty-handed and then it says he sent another servant to them and that one they killed so as Jesus is telling this story The people in the temple are outraged. They're really outraged. Not only is this wicked behavior, but it's illegal. The farmers had a contract, and they were to give a percentage of what they owned back to the owner of the vineyard, but they didn't. And even the crowd knew that this was dishonorable, this was shameful, this was illegal, this was insulting to the owner of the vineyard. And really what Jesus is saying here is he's having them look back on biblical history. He's having them look back on biblical history from Moses all the way to John the Baptist. And what he's he's having them understand is that these servants of the owners are the prophets. And the people treated the prophets very poorly, didn't they? The prophets had a responsibility. They had a strong message to God's people. And that strong message was to repent. Was to turn from your wickedness. Get back on track. Because the owner is coming to get what is rightfully his. If you take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We studied this when we were in the book of Hebrews a couple years ago. Hebrews chapter 11, you'll know that this is the, the chapter of the men and women of faith. But if you look down at verse 32, it talks about some of the things that happened to some of the prophets. We'll start off just uh, at the second part of verse 30. Well, let's see here. Well, let's Yeah, yeah let's go with 32. Let's go with 32. And what more shall I say, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, about Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and by the way you should read the story of Jephthah in the book of Judges, it's interesting. David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And where it starts, others, this is symbolic of what happened to some of the prophets. And actually not symbolic, this truly did happen. Jeremiah was one of them. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they may gain a better Resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered the deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. So the book of Hebrews gives us an indication as to what happened to the servants of the owners, the prophets that came back to the vineyard to get what was rightfully theirs. And the tenant owners killed them. And so the owner has one more chance, if you will, and he sends his beloved son, the Bible says. He sends his heir. He sends the future of his family. And in our text, it says, Surely they will respect my son. Surely they will respect my son. So the son and heir of the owner in our playbill, of course, is Jesus we are told that in verse 7 the tenants said to one another this is the heir come let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours so they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard the farmers killed the son too and threw his dead body out of the vineyard no burial just threw him away like roadkill and I think if you remember in a few weeks maybe a couple months we'll get to the crucifixion and Jesus was crucified if you remember outside the city walls So they killed the son and this is the beloved son the owner of the vineyard says And so Jesus the master storyteller asked the people listening What should the owner of the vineyard do? What should the owner of the vineyard do? Well, the Jews were very familiar with Genesis 9, verse 6. Genesis 9, verse 6 is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Capital punishment. Take a life, lose your own. And like the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5 that was destroyed by the Babylonians, this vineyard will also be destroyed by Titus Vespian. And if you're taking notes, the owner's revenge happens in 70 A.D. In 70 A.D. The owner's revenge happens. The Romans came into Jerusalem and massacred hundreds of thousands of Jews and history tells us threw their bodies over the walls and in the next few years destroyed over 900 villages in the land and if you remember completely leveled the temple never to be rebuilt to this day then it says verse 9 what then will the owner of the vineyard do he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others so the Bible tells us we have some new tenants some new tenants that the vineyard had been given to and really you could probably put two Words down here. You could put the apostles and you can put the church. Jesus turned over, and in Matthew chapter 16, remember the keys of the kingdom to the apostles, to that ragtag group of fishermen from Galilee. Jesus turns over the keys of the kingdom. These apostles, and if you remember in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Remember, the early church studied the apostles' teaching, and so the new tenets are the apostles, and the apostles basically then give the reins to the church. And Jesus says in Matthew 16 too, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not stop it. So that is the story, that is the parable, that is the playbill, And we're coming to the end. We're coming to the conclusion, if you will. And Jesus, I think it's interesting, concludes the parable with a quote from Psalm 118. That little section there. And he says, haven't you read? And of course they had. And I'll tell you why they've read that in a moment. But he says, haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Haven't you read? Of course they had. You know why they had? Psalm 113, Psalm 114, Psalm 115, Psalm 116, Psalm 117, and Psalm 118 are called the Hallel. They are called the Hallel. The Hallel is a Jewish prayer that is recited verbatim, guess when? On Passover. Passover is a few days away. They know this verse. And that's why Jesus says, hey, haven't you read this chapter? And it's like, yeah, we have, we have. And then he's saying basically, don't you get it? Don't you get it? In essence, Jesus is saying, especially to the religious leaders, don't you understand? You are the farmers. You are the builders. And you are rejecting the cornerstone, the capstone. And so, if you're taking notes, the ending, the capstone revealed is Jesus. The capstone is uh, revealed is Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And here's the problem the architects and the builders of the nation, the farmers, are rejecting the Messiah who will soon raise from the dead and become the cornerstone of the church. I was watching one of my favorite shows, House Hunters, and this guy was building, and I talked about this at our men's group yesterday, this guy was building this arch over his uh, bedroom door. And he was building with these huge mud blocks that he made. And so he, he, he built a frame, and he wanted it to be an arch over his bedroom door. And so he built a wood frame, a wood frame, and he started placing the stones on this frame. And then he got to the middle stone, the middle stone, right in the middle at the top, and he called that his capstone. He says, I've got to put that capstone in and it's got to fit perfectly or everything's going to come down. And so he gets a brick and he puts it right in there and then he says, all right, here's, here's the scoop. And he takes the, the wood frame and he slowly slides it out. And everybody's kind of watching thinking, did he do it right? Is it going to hold? And sure enough, he pulls that thing out and the, cap, it, the capstone held. It was, it was perfect. And Jesus is saying, I'm that stone. I'm the capstone. And everything will go right if you place that capstone where it's supposed to be placed. And so in your bulletin, there is a bottom line. There is a bottom line. And the bottom line, always, hopefully in church we'll always get to the same bottom line. And this bottom line is, what will you do with the beloved son? What will you do with the beloved son? And really, there's only two choices, folks. There's only two choices. One is, you can kill him. That is one of the choices. Our sins, and because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, our sins are what sent Jesus to the cross. Our sins are what sent Jesus to the cross. And so, your sins killed Jesus. So, what will you do with the beloved Son? There are two choices. One is you can kill him, or the other is you can put him in the center of your life. You can make him the rightful ruler of your life. And here's the, here's the, Here's the bottom line. If you die a Christ killer, you will receive the owner's revenge, and the owner's revenge is hell. If you accept the wrath-absorbing death of Jesus, you will receive a pardon. That's what the Bible says. And so always the question should be, every Sunday morning, which will it be? And many of you, of course, are Christ followers. You have placed him in the rightful in your life he is the capstone of your life and so you just need to be encouraged to keep living for him even in these tough times keep living for him keep running the race but there are others that don't know maybe Jesus as their Lord and Savior and right now they're Christ killers I hate to say it like that but that's what the Bible says they're Christ killers And if you die being a Christ killer, you will receive the owner's revenge. That's what the Bible says. But if you accept the wrath-absorbing death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will receive a pardon. And that's the good news of the Bible. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, it's your desire that no one perish. And so, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior... Well, right now, they're Christ killers. That sounds pretty strong. But that's what the Bible says. So Lord, our desire, your desire, would be that they would become Christ followers. And so Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw those that belong to you into that relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus and you'd like to talk about what that means, I'd be happy to meet with you. Our deacons would be happy to meet with you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're sitting next to would be happy to meet with you. Inside your bulletin there's even an opportunity for you to understand what it means to be a Christ follower. Don't let this day go by without inviting Jesus into your heart, into your life. So that you can receive that pardon. And not only that, that's future, but you can receive abundant and eternal life right now. You can receive the joy of the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching Scripture, biblical obedience, Community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.